Good morning, everybody. This is George DeRoos of DeRoos Counseling and DUI Services. Today is September 5th, 2020, and this is my first podcast since April of this year. I started doing these podcasts uh, in March. Um, I've only done a few uh, at the beginning of the quarantine here in the state of Illinois. And the state of Illinois was shut down all the way into the month of June, June 1st, um, and then the courthouse opened up. Um, during that period of time, uh, I had an assistant by the name of Danielle. Some of you have met her. She was a wonderful assistant uh, employee of mine for 12 years, and she quit. And I've been on my own since then. Um, I am currently training a couple new employees. But all during that time, I was running the place by myself, which wasn't too bad until June 1st uh, or mid-June, quite frankly. And then there's all the cases that had piled up at the courthouse started to come in. So, therefore, I haven't done as many podcasts as I would have liked to for you guys to listen to uh, while you are socially isolated or quarantined or um, at least this has definitely impacted how people operate their lives and how people move about. Um, I think younger people are more used to all this computer stuff. Right now, we're, we're doing a lot of things online, school. Uh, I have been doing Zoom uh, DUI classes since March, and I see no end in sight at this point in time. Uh, the Department of Human Services has authorized me to do these classes online, and it's probably going to be like this for the rest of the year, at a minimum. I think it's going to go into next year. Uh, I do not see, uh, even if there is a vaccine that comes out, at best you get a 30 to 40% efficacy rate. It, we're lucky if we come out with the safe one, that is, too. <laughs> you have to get people to get on board to take a vaccine. Um, so that, if you're lucky, it's 50%, and then that's just 50% efficacy. So you, I just don't see this going away overnight. Uh, flu season even it still hasn't hit yet, so uh, that's going to complicate things. Um, I will say that for myself, I've done really well. I'm happy that I'm healthy, and I'm glad that most of my clients, if not all, are uh, healthy. I have had a few clients tell me uh, that they have tested positive, uh, but there's been no major illnesses, and to my knowledge, no deaths that I know of. Um, you know, so... Uh, today, I wanted to kind of just kind of give an update that we're going to continue to do classes uh, online, and I want to kind of talk about addiction and its rise during this period of time, record numbers, alcohol abuse uh, during the first three or four months uh, has gone up by 55%, excuse me, alcohol use, uh, and they know that through tax receipts and so forth. Marijuana sales, uh, one of the things that they deemed as an essential business during COVID has been the marijuana uh, shops, um, and uh, that's record sales. The very first month, I think, of uh, quarantine, it was like triple sales in the state of Illinois. So uh, that's a thriving business, uh, and the alcohol industry obviously is, is capitalizing on this, and, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, just to let the clients know uh, the new clients, but I think most of you veterans, if I may call you veterans that have been with me for a while, I, I, I cast no judgment on that. I mean, I do not blame and do not uh, uh, judge you 
for using an intoxicant to make yourself feel better. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, what we call stress relief drinking. Uh, I don't know what I could call marijuana use, but just, you know, chilling out. How about that? Uh, Just kind of let the things pass in your mind. Um, The problem comes in when people overuse, excessively use, abuse to black out, uh, get drunk and intoxicated on a regular basis. That's when problems are going to arise. Um, So... There's a couple things I want to talk about, and one of them obviously is the rise of addiction in this country, not just the state, but this country, the overall rate of uh, a problem drinkers, alcoholics, addicts has risen dramatically. Uh, with social isolation comes addiction, and I've always said that addiction thrives in secrecy. It thrives in social isolation. When we are isolated from the community, addiction can take hold very easily to the most healthy people. No matter what your background is, no matter what your social status or economic status is, you are susceptible to addiction when you are isolated from the community and your friends and family. Um, I do not think that everybody has exactly abided by any of these safety precautions, but I think a lot of, uh, when I go out in the community, when I do go to work, I do see a lot of people practicing safe social distancing and uh, mask and all that stuff, and that's good. I mean, that, you're protecting yourself. Whether it's an overreaction to this or not, no matter what your, your political beliefs are, uh, there's nothing wrong, there's no harm in doing it. Um, so, and just and just being safe. And so far, I've been pretty, I'm very happy that I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, I am uh, someone that is a little older and it's not like I'm in my 20s. And I've, I've seen a lot of cases where the younger people, they get sick, but they, but they get through it. Um, but there is something called long haulers. Uh, there are people, I don't know if you heard that term, it's called a long hauler. And that's somebody that has uh, lasting damage even after they've recovered from the virus. So this is new and science is still learning of what the permanent damage may be. So that's what kind of makes this a little scarier. It's not the flu, just to reemphasize that if you've listened to my earlier podcast. It is a viral infection that infects the lungs and basically deprives you of oxygen. And so you just think of the horror of that, not being able to breathe and having to go on a ventilator in order for your body to get oxygen. And so that's that's just scary. It's not just the cough and sneeze and uh, overall malaise of a flu. It's different. Um, and so some people have these longer-lasting effects even after they recover from the initial uh, sickness. Uh, so having said that... Uh, Back to substance abuse, uh, it is up. Uh, there's us. There's another factor here that we're experiencing, and that is suicide. Uh, the rise of work-related suicide during this pandemic has risen dramatically. Um, this month uh, is Suicide Prevention Month. It's National Suicide Prevention Month, folks, and I want you to look out for your friends and family. And keep an eye on them because there are people that this is affecting um, even let's just say you still go out and you still go to the store or whatever. It's still just the whole the whole national crisis is impacting people. Uh, I consider myself a pretty mentally healthy individual. Um, uh, 
I'm in recovery, and I believe my AA recovery program helps me deal with these kinds of things. But uh, so even so I'm healthy, I still feel the impact. I still feel I'd rather have my group in my group room, for instance. I, I'm adapting to the Zoom classes, but it just seems like what is going on? We have to talk to each other through a video. You know what I mean? So I think it's impacting people. So every 40 seconds, someone dies from suicide in this country. That is astounding. Um, so every 40 seconds, um, the suicide has become a global uh, health crisis, and the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. is uh, suicide. And it has risen 30% since 1999. Right now, suicide is at an all-time high. It's at a 50-year high, and it has uh, 44,000 Americans on average dying every year from suicide. Uh, I want to make a comment on um, what else is going on, and I don't want to get, uh, please excuse me, but you know, with all the rioting and the violence, but let's just call it violence in the country, uh, this is an immense strain on the communities. Uh, there's a lot of fear going on. We're in an election year. <laughs> uh, police are being, uh, you know, criticized at every angle. And there is a problem with our police force. Okay, we all know that. But I don't want to disparage all police officers, our departments. Uh, but, um, you know, you know, in New York City, for instance, nine police officers have already committed suicide in this year alone. So, I mean... Suicide and alcoholism, I believe, in a lot of different professions. You can go to firefighters, you know, you could talk about other uh, psychiatrists, which is really weird, high suicide rate. But with police departments, there is. So I imagine there's a lot of strain on them as well. I mean, the, the police officers that really do their job and do a great job. Um, so we're seeing this, uh, this, this global crisis, this whole thing is affecting all professions, affecting all people. And I, I just wanted to make a brief mention about that. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on that's disturbing to people. You know, uh, I try to limit my news consumption, um, but I like to know what's going on. I read, I still read a newspaper, I still read a lot on news and stuff, but uh, it is so like just constant crisis going on. And uh, I can imagine that it's weighing on people. Even if you try to ignore it, it's just the vibe of it, if you understand what I'm saying. It's just, you just feel it. Um, maybe you keep yourself distracted with other things, and that's what I do. I try to just keep active and focus on healthy things, focus on pleasant things the most I can. Because again, I'm in recovery. Just because I'm in recovery and been sober for so long, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, any day, any of us, particularly us in the recovering community, can fall off the wagon and decide to drink. And there are a lot of people who stress, which creates stress hormones, stress can induce cravings that you haven't had in years, in years. So another thing that a lot of people go through is it may not just be addiction, but it may be that they want to end their life, that they don't want to go through this. Um, so... Um, Suicides, again, I wanted to talk about, we have high unemployment. We have high unemployment suicides uh, related to not being able to pay your bills, not being able to uh, take care of your family, uh, to just basically function in life. 
has, has uh, risen in the United States. And now we're having workplace related to where people are working, working from their home, but they are feeling socially isolated. And uh, for whatever reason, people uh, uh, decide to end their life. And um, all I can say is that um, when people suffer loss and people suffer um, just a lot of stress in their life, there's a need to escape. And so some of us use drugs. Some of us use booze, smoking, obviously, food. There's a lot of different compulsive behaviors that we can do that can uh, that help soothe our pain. How about that? And then there's some of us that get to the point where they just want to die. And um, I want to take a little moment of time to tell you the my personal relationship with this. Uh, I have had uh, uh, some friends do that in my lifetime. Um, I've had a lot of friends die from addiction itself, uh, overdose, um, drugs, but some of them have killed themselves. Um, I will tell you there is definitely a close relationship to drinking and drug use and suicide. You are 15 times more likely, I believe that's a stat, um, I'm sorry, men and women with substance abuse disorders are six times more likely to complete suicide than those who don't use. In other words, not just suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, but actually complete the suicide and, and kill themselves. So that's an important point to make here. We are here because of DUIs and all that stuff, and none of us have to We'll go through this DUI stuff again, and we're all court-mandated. But my job is also to promote the overall overall uh, health of the community and to try to get you to um, um, seek help, uh, talk to somebody, and, and figure out viable alternatives to um, hurting yourself. So... Again, six times more likely than people who don't use. So using drugs and alcohol uh, can contribute to the risk of harm, self-harm and killing yourself. So my personal experience, um, when I, uh, I don't want to tell my whole story by any means. I don't want to do that today. But uh, I will tell you that I never woke up one day, just to summarize it, and decided to become an addict. I, I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, today's the day. I'm going to become a junkie or whatever. Uh, it all started with loss. It all started with uh, losing my father at a young age. Uh, my father was only 39, and my father uh, uh, was shot and killed. And I don't want to go into the detail of how that happened, but he was only 39, and he did suffer from mental illness primarily. And I really believe that he um, that he created a situation to where he would be killed. Um, uh, so, uh, well, I guess I need to clarify that my, my father was shot and killed by a police officer. He, he committed a crime. Uh, they pulled him over. Uh, he basically did not want to go and he shot the police officer five times in the chest. And there's my sensitivity to police officers in this country. You have to deal with craziness like this. So my father brandished that weapon very quickly. And back then police officers didn't have, um, bulletproof vest. And so he he shot this officer five times in the chest with a 25 caliber uh, a pistol. 
And for uh, for the officer, the officer was, uh, fortunately, he lived through this. He was in critical condition in the ICU, but he managed to uh, uh, shoot my father one time with a thirty-eight revolver uh, slug right into the jugular vein of his neck, and it killed him instantly right here in Belleville on 3rd and Lincoln Street. Matter of fact, it was right in front of Saint, the old St. Elizabeth Hospital. And so that's how he died. I really didn't want to get into that, but I, I guess I got to put some context. And so what I was saying was, I believe my father did suicide by cop, if that makes any sense to any of, of you. Uh, I, th- I don't, he had suffered mental illness for many years, according to my mother. And my mom talked about how after his father died, his loss is when he changed. He changed. And you could just tell he was sick. And then he became unemployed in the 60s. And then we had all the chaos in the 60s. If you know any of your history, you know, the protests against Vietnam and so forth. And uh, just the whole uh, environment back then was very, we had people changing. We had drug use and we had a whole new uh, change in culture that was very shocking uh, to my father's generation, which was, you know, the clean cut, short haircut, uh, suit and tie. You never went outside without a suit and tie, that kind of thing. And then you had hippies in the street. And so, so culture was changing. I think all those and all those factors, uh, uh, you know, what's going on in my country kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm theorizing, obviously. I'm kind of, you know, I still grapple today with try, uh, try to understand why he did this. Uh, because my mom will tell you, uh, my late mother, that is, my mother passed away about six weeks ago. And and she would tell you he was a great guy. And then it, it was after his father died. It was things just changed. He And then he became unemployed. And then he wasn't pursuing what he really wanted to do. He wanted to, uh, you know, pursue a, a career. And, and then he had a family. He had all kinds of things. And she said it was a sad loss. My mother uh, and I go to the grave every year, about four to six times a year. And uh, I have a stepfather. And we go there. We put flowers in the grave. And whenever we get to uh, my father's grave, she would cry still and talk. about. And so that was the love of her life. And um, anyway, good man, succumbed to mental illness, got himself shot. So I was only five, and that was my first loss. And uh, my second loss was my brother Gary uh, was hit by a drunk driver in 1978. Um and um, he was put into a coma. And if you don't know what a coma is, it's basically your body's there, but your your brain is asleep um, in, in lay terms. And he was on life support for about six weeks uh, in a full comatose state. And then another six weeks in a semi-comatose state, maybe, maybe just another month. And he slowly came out of this coma. And we were warned that he would be... Uh, non-functional and uh, he'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and don't expect him to live long and all this stuff Uh, and he was at Barnes which at the time was the number two neurological unit in the United States and he had some of the best doctors and uh, there wasn't a lot of hope and so I was at a very uh, uh, vulnerable period of my life being a teenager growing up in the teenagehood, you know, puberty and all that stuff, you know, and then social, 
connections. You know, when you go from grade school to high school, you you feel kind of like, am I gonna? How am I gonna make friends and all that stuff? And and then this happens, and it destroyed me. Uh, Gary did live, uh, but it, he did not know who we were when he came out of the coma. He did not know my mother's name. He did not know how to speak. Uh, he was it was like this, like that, and it was our worst nightmares came true that oh my god he's going to be an invalid uh i hate the word vegetable but that, you know that's what they refer to but i hate that but just just he's we're going to take care of this person that's really not there you know what i'm saying uh, and so it was horrible it was horrifying and uh it was a terrible tragedy and uh gary was the good brother the good son that never did a damn thing wrong always said yes mother was polite good catholic schoolboy prayed, went to church, did everything he was supposed to do. He was the first college graduate in the family. He was engaged to be married. He wanted a family. He was funny. He was personable. He was appropriate. Uh, He had lots of girlfriends, so to speak, because they loved him because he was never violate boundaries. He was just an appropriate young man. And this shit happened. And a terrible, terrible tragedy. And uh, he got ripped off. Uh, so that's a lot of stress on me and the fact that not only has another loss come to me at such a young age, at the same time, I lost my mother. My mother had to become a full-time nurse to Gary. She did not have time. And this is no disparaging of my mother, simply the fact of life that she had to invest all of her time in taking care of him. And so I was left to figure out and navigate through these years on my own. And unfortunately, I found drugs and alcohol. Now, I want to tell you, getting back to the topic of suicide, I want to tell you now, after that happened, I wanted to die. I was angry. I was pissed at the world. And I wanted to kill myself. And uh, I I know this is a really odd thing to say. And uh, I really should be careful with how I, I want to make sure you're listening now that Alcohol and drugs probably saved me from doing that because it gave me a sense of relief. So I I hope you understand that. I am not encouraging you to go out and use drugs rather than kill yourself this month, okay? That is not what I'm saying. But as a teenager, that's an attractive idea. Like, oh, oh, wow, I got high and I got drunk. I go, oh, now I I could cope with this terrible loss. Now I don't have to care anymore. I don't give a shit about anything anymore, right? That's what happened. And that is a terrible mix for addiction because now you found the solution. The solution is just use and I could get through life and get through teen. And oh, by the way, when you start using drugs and alcohol in high school, wow, you make friends instantly. It takes no skill. All you have to do is get high with them, right? All you have to do is join the group. It's a cop out looking back on it, but that's what I did. And so, um, that became a, a, a way of coping. Uh, and unfortunately, it became addiction at a very young age. And my addiction thrived and progressed from marijuana to alcohol, the pills to cocaine to all the drugs combined. People have asked me, what's your drug of choice? And my drug of choice is more. I don't really care what it is. Just give me more of it. So I don't really have one. I will tell you that cocaine was probably the one that drugged me through the rocks the most because it was the 1980s and it was constantly uh, an abundant supply of that. And I smoked pot every day like it was cigarettes. 
never dreamed I would quit smoking marijuana. Maybe that other stuff, you know, those hard drugs, but I never dreamed I would quit doing that. And uh, it all uh, came to an end in 1986 to 88 when none of this stuff worked anymore. None of these drugs and alcohol will subdue your pain anymore. After a while, it works initially, folks, but it will not continue to work. It will get worse. And so then you're using drugs and alcohol to subdue the pain, but now the pain gets worse, right? And so you feel worthless. You feel like I'm never going to get things right. And now the idea of suicide come back into play. I'm never going to get it right. I'm a loser. I'm a piece of whatever, or I, I am just no good. And therefore, suicide becomes uh, a, 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 a way of just ending it all. Because I can't quit. I won't quit. I'll never get it together. I keep getting in trouble. Whatever it is. I, I've lost my wife. I lost my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever it is. Nobody wants to be around me anymore. These are the things that could happen outside of DUI arrest, by the way. And then you, it becomes an idea. And I will tell you this. I will tell you, I forgot I did. It just, just hit me about Tim. We had a group member, Tim, uh, uh, in our group back in uh, April who completed and he called me and he said he wanted to stay in the Zoom classes. He wanted to do after group, at what we call aftercare. He wanted to continue to stay with the group. Uh, I had a speaker in my group that I went to high school with, uh, Eric, and Eric happened to know him. And they said, hey, Eric, and all that. So they talked back and forth uh, in Zoom. And uh, so one day I just didn't see uh, Tim anymore. And I was like, I wonder what happened to him. Because he said he wanted to keep in touch and he was disappeared. Well, Eric called me and Eric said that he hung himself. So I just remembered that just now. We did have a group member uh, who graduated this year. And I don't know if that's due to COVID. I don't know if that's because of the virus. But it could be. A combination of that and I believe that Tim had a problem with drugs and alcohol, or at least alcohol, excuse me. And uh, and I think there were some relationship problems. That's what happens when you're drinking too much. You're probably going to have relationship problems. And Eric told me his girlfriend had left him. And so that, you know, it's a variety of factors. Uh, but he hung himself. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, so uh, back to what I was saying uh I think that um, that becomes an, uh, a, a viable solution of like, I, I'm just so sick and, de- sick and tired of dealing with addiction and, and dealing with the uh, struggle of life that I want to quit. I know I should quit, but yet I keep using. That is a terrible place to be in. And for those of you that are not addicted or have never experienced this feelings, let me tell you, you never want to get there. You never want to get to the point where you know you're doing yourself harm by using and drinking too much, but you still do it anyway. That's addiction. If you keep doing stuff that you know is harmful to yourself, if you keep doing that, you have a problem and you need help and you need to talk to me. I'm the guy to talk to because I've been through a lot of shit. So fortunately, uh, I, I will tell you just to get back on track here, uh, when that became 1986, 87, 88, as of my last years of heavy drug use, um, uh, I tried to commit suicide on a couple occasions. Um, took a shotgun. Um, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I had such shaky hands that when I pulled the shotgun up to my head, the trigger went off and the, and the shell went through the ceiling. And when that happened, 
it scared the shit out of me. And then I kind of woke up out of my days and said, uh, do I really want to die? And uh, unfor- unfortunately, I had a friend on my phone, on the phone, and he heard it, and I was telling him that I wanted to die. And Jimmy came out, and he took my gun and so forth. That was one episode. And the other episodes were me trying to overdose on drugs, just trying to pump enough cocaine to where I would give myself a heart attack. And uh, I did it up in the hospital a couple times. And uh, But really what stopped me is I got arrested and uh, on December 8th, 1988. Uh, I, I sold drugs for a living for nine years, and I finally got busted, not for sales, but for possession and suspicious complaint. That's a long, that's another podcast, folks. But uh, that's what got me into the treatment system. That's how, that's a short version of my story of it, it, it quit working. You know, the drugs weren't working anymore. I wasn't getting relief. I was trying to kill myself. And fortunately, because I got busted by the police, and held me accountable, basically, I went and sought help. And uh, I didn't really want to quit using. I just didn't want to go to prison. I was facing three years in a penitentiary, and I sought help, and uh, it worked. I checked into a a residential treatment center for seven months and nine days. Um, After that, uh, the first four months of sobriety, guess what came back? Guess what feeling came back? Suicide. I no longer had my medication. I no longer had my means of coping. I wanted to kill myself my first four months of sobriety in 1989. I wanted to die. I hated myself. I realized what I had done to my life. I felt ashamed about selling drugs for years. I primarily sold marijuana, by the way. I was not a, a cocaine dealer or anything. I, was, I, I sold a lot of marijuana in my life. And uh, I still felt bad. Did I felt like, oh, that pot could have got to some kids or whatever. I, I, you just start to develop a conscious when you, when you quit using. And uh, uh, I'm not a psychopath, in other words. <laughs> uh, I, I have feelings, and I, and I felt ashamed, and I felt a lot of regret, a lot of remorse. And unfortunately, I beat the hell out of myself to where I just wanted to die. So I had to be on suicide watch uh, for about a month um, to where I had to sleep behind the nurse's station uh, to where they could peek in on me and stuff like that and make sure I was all right. Um, but eventually I started uh, getting some hope in my life, and I had great counselors, and they got me on track. And uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, th- let's see, how long? 31 years ago that I went to treatment. Um, so uh, it's a long time. And uh, I just want to say that... Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people want to end their life. There's a lot of reasons why people uh, just want to uh, quit. And, and and if it's not that, I don't want you to resort to using substances. Look, if you keep getting drunk, uh, we're, most of us are alcohol abusers in here, you're probably going to get behind the wheel. I'm going to tell you that. I want the first offenders to really listen to this. When we have classes, I want you to listen to the multiple offenders. They will tell you how they did it again. It's not like these people are stupid and they just say, hey, I'm going to go out and get another DUI. Or, you know, it's nobody wants to do this again. Nobody wanted to do it the first time. But it happens because we're overusing. And you need to figure out why you're overusing. And I know that some of you young folks, you're not, it's not like some underlying illness or mental problem. It's just that you're partying too damn much and you need to calm down. <laughs> That's put it that way. But uh, for some of us, I think when you literally look at the deeper level of why we get drunk and high, 
is because we're dealing with stress. We're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with with uh, un- uncomfortable uh, and uh, unpleasant feelings and unpleasant emotions. So uh, I want to just say that um, one of the ways that you keep yourself mentally healthy is to remain in contact with your family and friends in some way. And ask them how they're doing. You know, ask them about their mental health, of how they're dealing with this. Uh, if you find someone or yourself feeling overstressed and feeling traumatized from this situation we're in, contact somebody. A therapist. doesn't have to be George Drews. It can be anybody. Uh, one of the best clinics here in town in Swansea, uh, Illinois, is the Brown Clinic, run by Ashley Brown. So if you're seeking mental health treatment. Uh, She does have a waiting list, but it's somebody you could at least talk to, and she may know of someone else that doesn't have a waiting list. I personally recommend them. Um, Make sure you know the signs of suicide. Uh, Educate yourself. um, And take threats and attempts seriously. No no suicide threat or attempt should be dismissed or taken lightly. Statistics show that people who talk about or threaten suicide or call crisis centers are 30 times more likely than average to kill themselves. And 40% of people who complete suicide had made a previous attempt. Threats or attempts are cries for help that something is gravely wrong in a person's life, and you should take them seriously and deal with them immediately. It is important to be supportive, compassionate, understanding in cases where a person is suicidal. Um, If you're concerned, uh, trust your instincts. Reach out to that person. Share your concerns and be willing to listen. Um, Find out if the person has a concrete plan to harm. In other words, do they have a specific suicide plan? Um, If so, don't leave that person alone uh, or keep it a secret. and I want to say that be careful as well. Never attempt to counsel uh, unless you're trained. Um, talk to them, but then seek professional help, okay? Um, don't take this on yourself. And if you're that person that we're talking about, please, please seek help. Um, I will tell you that my life was quite bleak and dark. And especially after I got clean and sober, I just hated it. I hated myself and I hated everybody around. I hated everything. I was so full of anger and contempt for the world. And I had to find a good therapist to get me out of that hole. And I'm very grateful that uh, I've made it to this point. So I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. And uh, I hope this, I don't know, gives you a brighter feeling no matter how dark your life looks. Uh, no matter uh, how far down you've gone, I'm here to tell you that you could get out of it. Um, if I would have thought 31 years ago that I would own a treatment center, are you kidding me? <laughs> Especially after what I used to do for a living. Uh, that's absurd to even think, to even fantasize. But I think that where I am today is because of being clean and sober. I think it's also because I am a product of therapy. I completely believe in therapy. I've been in and out of therapy throughout my life, by the way, not just when I got clean and sober and went to a treatment center. I've been in mental health myself to deal with those grieving losses of my father and my brother and now my mother's death. Uh, I talk to people all the time. Um, I was taking care of my mother for the past three years. I was the only kid uh, able to do that. The rest of my family lived far away. 
And uh, that was a lot of stress in itself. But losing her, uh, really, I really got closer to my mother than I ever had. And uh, it, she's dearly missed. So uh, I will try to get back on track and do these podcasts a little bit more. And uh, with that, you all have a good day. And uh, have a good Labor Day weekend. Thank you.